It is the 200 level episode 106, Thursday Night Lights. Mike Carpenter from the basement, got Alex Brew coming up in a little bit from the Big Ten Network, also a local product, so he's got some Illini connections and we'll talk plenty about football and basketball. Exciting stuff for Big Ten football now that we got a 10-game conference-only schedule, even though you could argue that Illinois got the short end of the stick. You get Ohio State added to your schedule. You get Penn State also from the East. Not good. Both of those are top 10 teams. And then, of course, you have Wisconsin from your own division, along with what is a pretty tough Big Ten West. You do get Rutgers, though. Last year that you get Rutgers, so that is a bonus. Also, basketball and a rumor, let's say, from John Rothstein that came out this morning about how Power Five conferences are looking at the bubble format for basketball. This is very exciting to me because, let's be real, when we got the news about Kofi and Io, our first thought is, will we actually see this happen? And the way things are kind of progressing in the United States with all the numbers of cases rising, I was skeptical. And I was thinking, I don't know if you could get that done in a traditional format where you'd have games in Champaign, games in East Lansing, so on and so forth. But if they're using that template that the NBA has used to great success so far, there's no reason to think that they can't pull off a two-month conference-only slate. And I know that that would be shortened season from what we're used to, at least. But I'll take anything at this point. I will take a bastardized season as long as I get to see Io and Kofi out there on the court taking Illinois to, I don't know, could we call it a national title or the Power Five conferences going to have to come up with their own unique version of the NCAA tournament? All that stuff is, of course, subject to change. But that news was very exciting to me today because it shows that the Power Five conferences, understandably, with all the money that's tied into it, they are actively looking for a way to get this basketball season played. Football, that's a whole other game. But we did get a schedule, Illinois, Ohio State, Thursday, September 3rd, the very first college football game, at least as of now, on the calendar, and the first event that will have spectators in a stadium for a collegiate or professional game since the pandemic began. So a bit of history. I mean, we'll be in the, I don't know about the Guinness Book of World Records, but we'll be a footnote, at least, in trivia and all that sort of thing about the first football game to have fans in the stands post-COVID-19. Now, how good will that game be? I'm not sure, but I'll get into how I am excited for what lies ahead, even with all the uncertainty and, let's say, skepticism about this team. But before we get to that, and of course, Alex Rue later on from Big Ten Network, got to remind you the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe. Online at dpdo.com. And when we get these football games going, including Thursday, September 3rd, DPDO is a great option pre or post game. They will deliver it anywhere in Champaign Urbana. And especially since we don't have tailgating in the lots, why not order you, your friends, your family, a bunch of calzones? You can get any topping you want, custom zones or favorites like the Maui Wowie or Buffer Zone. All the best deals and prices again at dpdo.com. That is dpdo.com. Fourth and Kirby, online at fourthandkirby.com. And just in time for this football season, however it may look, you can be guaranteed to have some cool swag. They have new designs that they will be unveiling very soon. I got a sneak peek of them. And let me tell you, these look fantastic. And for football season, I'm going to buy a couple of them. This coming from someone who is a self-professed Illini basketball fan. Far more than I am football, but you know what? They look that cool, and I'm going to be excited to rock those in the fall. You can use coupon code 200LEVEL or the 200LEVEL at 4thandKirby.com for 10% 
off your order. That's fourthandkirby.com. And finally, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Life, auto, home, business renters, whatever kind of insurance you're looking into, let Brian and his expert staff help you out. And not only are they experts, but they're also local products. Champaign-Urbana, born and raised, so they have your local interest at heart. That's brianismyguy.com. Trevor Valise's favorite domain name, BrianIsMyGuy.com. Of course, Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network partners with the 200 level. The big news this week, other than Kofi Nayo, and that's still something that we're all basking in the glow, is the schedule that came out for Big Ten football. This would have been Wednesday morning, and we're waiting and waiting. I think last week it seemed like it might come out Thursday or Friday. It didn't. And then Wednesday morning, I see that Jeremy tweets out that within the hour, we're going to have a schedule. So I'm, I'm getting excited because... It's right about this time of year. We go to Wisconsin, end of July, get back the first week of August, and that is when football becomes real. Training camp starts. We have the non-conference games to look forward to, the ones that you hope to win, at least, and then the conference slate. And this is all without a whole lot of success as an Illinois football fan. We can all relate. There's not a lot of moments that we can look back on in our lives and say, man, remember when Illinois football was really good. But even though those moments are few and far between, there's something about the timing of Right before school starts, students coming back, the temperature starting to get a little bit cooler, football starting. It's a very seasonal thing, just like the way I think about baseball in the spring is sort of a line of demarcation. We're done with winter. We're in spring. It's getting warmer. That seasonal thing is what excites me about football almost as much as the games, because as an Illini and Bears fan, there haven't been a lot of great moments, like I said. It's been kind of rough sledding. Nonetheless, I'm still looking forward to it. Whatever happens in this 10-game season, whether you get three games or all 10 or none, and there's still a month before we would get that first game, or I, I should say four weeks to the day, 28 days before we get Ohio State visiting Champaign. Let's start with the good news about opening with Ohio State. This is going to be a moment where all eyes are on Champaign. I'll get to the game in a second, but in terms of branding, exposure, this is an opportunity and not one that you would normally get. If you are a football fan, however casual you may be, you will be watching at least the beginning of that game because it will be the first college football game, at least so far, on the docket. Thursday night, national television, even if it's Big Ten Network, people will find their way to it on their TV screens, and that is a great opportunity for Lovey and the staff. The other good news is that the expectations for Illinois in that game are going to be modest, shall we say, that even if you go out there and compete and don't win, and I don't think anyone's predicting Illinois to win that game, you can still go out there and lose by 14, 17 points and feel pretty good about it, especially as you work your way through the rest of the schedule. It will not get harder than Ohio State. It just won't. They're the best team on the schedule. They're the best team in the Big Ten yet again with the best young coach in the Big Ten and the best quarterback in the Big Ten, in Justin Fields. So it is a great opportunity with a low bar where if you just have a passing grade, and that passing grade would be a 14 to 17 point loss at home, okay, we'll take it. Now, of course, it could certainly get away from Illinois, and that's the other concern about getting that exposure, being right there front and center, is that you could lay an egg and it could be an embarrassment. And then I, I had this thought, and this is so cynical, but that something happens, you don't even get your second game played, and you play one game in 2020 where you get your asses kicked at home by Ohio State. Sadly, that's a possibility. But nonetheless, a Thursday night, September 3rd, you kick things off. I know how big of a deal the Thursday night NFL opener will probably be the week following that. But to have all the eyes right here on Champaign, to be in my house, here, here is my ideal Thursday, September 3rd, because you can't tailgate in lots over there. 
is getting the grill fired up, putting the TV out on the front porch, having the windows open so I can hear Memorial Stadium, which is about five minutes from the house, and just setting up shop for the evening, watching football, the only football game going on in the United States, as it's happening right here in this community. So that is a cool thing that reminds me a little bit of when, I don't know, Monday Night Football was here back with Brett Favre and the Packers visiting the Bears and how big of a deal that was for Champaign-Urbana. Game didn't go so well, unless you were a Packer fan. And that is where I think about, okay, pros and cons of getting Ohio State for that first game. The pros, like I've just said, the exposure, the opportunity. You can't ask for a bigger opportunity. The cons, of course, though, would be the blowback if you go out there and you lose like we think we might lose to a team of Ohio State's caliber. And then do you set yourselves back? Do you risk a team that I think should be fairly confident in Illinois coming into this season? Do you risk their confidence? Does it risk getting shot in the first week of the season? Because at the end of the day, they might be realistic and understand that Ohio State winning by 28, 35 points is not the end of the season. But it would be a jarring way to start things after you go to your first bowl game since 2014 and all the progress that you did see that was made on the field last year. So there's a pros and cons list that you could get to for that. But at the end of the day, we have a game on the schedule four weeks from today for September 3rd. And that is something that in the midst of all this COVID-19 stuff, We need things to look forward to. That is something that we can certainly look forward to. Whether or not Illinois wins that game or many others, that's the other question. And thinking about this schedule and how tough it is, we came into this season pre-COVID-19, and then even before they told us it would only be conference games, thinking that this was a favorable schedule because of the non-conference with Illinois State. UConn, Bowling Green, you get your three wins off the bat, and then you only have to go three and six in the Big Ten to become bowl eligible. You would have certainly wanted better than a three and six showing in conference, and they could have done that, you know, maybe four and five. But I don't know if I would have taken that all the way up to five and four. I thought this team's ceiling was seven and five. I know there's some out there that will say eight and four was a possibility back when he had the 12 game schedule. I don't see it. Uh, an offense that I think will be serviceable to good, but I don't think we'll have a great offense by any stretch because he had questions at the running back position to begin. And at wide receiver, sadly, you do have a little bit of a lack of depth now that you lost a Ricky Smalling. But that was all the schedule before the Big Ten only 10 game slate was announced on Wednesday. And here's your gift in return, Illini fans, Ohio State and Penn State. No, you don't get Maryland or Michigan State or Michigan. No, you get Ohio State and Penn State. Yes, you get Rutgers. That's a break that Illinois got in the entire Levy Smith era. And that is going to run its course after next year. You don't get Rutgers anymore. You get Indiana, but it's on the road and it's a pretty good program. They're on the rise. I would have much rather have gotten Michigan State in Mel Tucker's first year because they are a floundering program and he might be able to get some recruiting momentum going on up there, but they will likely be a mess the next two years. But you don't get that scheduling break. Maybe this is all the karma for five consecutive years of Rutgers on your schedule and it's coming back to get you. You got the Ohio States and the Penn States on the docket and a pretty good Indiana team. No Maryland, no Michigan State. So that is unfortunate to say the least. Of course, you got the Big Ten West games with Wisconsin Do you think we're going to get two in a row from them when you got to go to Camp Randall? Fans or not? I don't feel so good about that. Iowa, you get it home. Okay, that could be a sneaky upset pick. Northwestern, you go on the road. Until Lovey beats Pat Fitzgerald, I'm not assuming anything in that matchup. 
Minnesota, you get at home. That's the other one, like Iowa, that can really flip the season. Those two home games, Minnesota and Iowa. And then at Nebraska is an interesting one because you would think that Frost has really yet to get that thing going, at least the way that I thought he would. And you get them early enough, second game of the year, where you could spring, let's call it a very mild upset on the road against the Cornhuskers. Purdue, that's the game that you must absolutely win. You get them at home. But that's part of the problem, is that when you start going through the schedule and trying to chalk up wins and losses, I don't know how these numbers work out to much better than four and six. Beginning with Ohio State, let's assume, realistically, that is an 0-1 start. Nothing to be ashamed of. Most teams will lose to Ohio State for however many games are played this year. You will just be another in a long line of L's, or W's, I guess, if you're a Buckeyes fan. At Nebraska, at Indiana. Now, realistically, I'm thinking that you go 0-2 in that stretch. Both of those road games against offenses that has some firepower. And that really goes back to my concern with Lovey Smith in general, is that the defense is so predicated on takeaways that you need an element of luck in order to keep a team to 20, 23 points. At Nebraska, at Indiana, two teams that really turned it on offensively last year, we saw it firsthand at late September when Nebraska came to Memorial Stadium, what they did against this defense. I don't like those matchups. And then you got Purdue at home. I think realistically you start one and three with the one against Purdue. And sadly, that would come after three consecutive losses. And by the way, I'm assuming that all 10 games are played. I could go into all the contingencies, but we've done that enough on the 200 level. So we're, we're doing an old-fashioned dare to dream, or I should say, go down the schedule, wins and losses. I got him at one and three after Purdue. Losses to Ohio State at Nebraska at Indiana. Finally, you beat Purdue at home on September 26th. Iowa could be the swing game, I think, in this entire season. It's smack dab in the middle, fifth game of the year, October 16th, or October 10th, excuse me, at home. So that would be after a bye week. And if you win that, worst case scenario, two and three, you are still in position to have a pretty good year. Keep in mind, you may not even have to go 500 to make a bowl game if they, in fact, have bowl games this year. And really, four and six against the schedule, in my mind, you're kind of holding serve because it is a tough schedule. That doesn't excite me, and that wouldn't be something that I'd say, keep lovey or extend lovey, but it would be something where you probably just stay par for the course and go on into 2021 with this coaching staff, again, for better or worse. And after that Iowa game you have at Northwestern, I'm not buying it. (laughs) I mean, you lost to them in what was Pat Fitzgerald's worst single year as a head coach. They're going to be much improved this year, and it's on the road, and lovey just has had terrible showings against Northwestern. So at that point, let's call it two and four, six games into the season. No worries, though. We go to Wisconsin after that. Two and five. Minnesota at home. I don't feel it. Two and six. I know there was a wide receiver that I think is opting out, and he's not going to be the last one, whether it be Minnesota or any other Big Ten team, but that's still a program on the rise. And from a numbers game, in terms of the quality of athletes they have, the number of athletes they have, they're better than you are. They have a better coach than you, and that is just not a matchup that I look forward to. At Rutgers, okay, third one of the season. There we go. Now we're sitting at 3-6, and six, heading into the final game of the year after another bye week. November 21st, Penn State, again, assuming we get there. I'm looking at a 3-7 and team. And that is not all that different than what I would have predicted with the 12-game schedule that included three non-conference opponents. 
I was always confused when people, and this includes Jeremy and Lon, they're, they're much higher on this team than I am. And I'm trying to make sure that I'm not looking at this team and this roster through foggy, smoky glasses or, or through a lens of cynicism. I would much rather be looking at it with some orange Kool-Aid, but I just don't have that in me. But if I try to objectively look at what this team is good at, offensively, we would argue that they are a potential top half of the Big Ten offense, or at the worst, middle of the pack. Let's say 7th, 8th, ninth. I think they're capable of that, but I still think there are questions in terms of your skill positions minus tight end. That is a position of strength. And you got a quarterback that you feel pretty good about, and the offensive line is certainly a strength on this team. That's why this offense, even with the lack of proven commodities behind a Josh Matterbebe, a wide receiver, with Epstein, who's going to have to have a big year, uh, some of the other guys going to have to step up for the absence of Rayvon Bonner, running back by committee, I guess, that's still an offense that is capable of keeping you in games. Let's put it that way. Defensively, the back seven, you feel good about. You do feel good about your linebacking core and your secondary, but the defensive line, despite having guys, and they got guys, but someone's going to have to step up. Some unproven commodity or three are going to have to step up and be consistent contributors on the defensive line. And that's a big position to enter any season with question marks. And knowing what I know as someone that's had my team's coach by Lovey Smith, dating back to the Bears and now the Illini, well over a decade of Lovey Smith experience. Those defenses tend to work when the defensive line play is strong, when they only have to send four guys and that the secondary can then do what they do best. Now, in a perfect world, you'd have a really good defensive line on this team. They would be able to get some pressure in the quarterback and the back seven, they could do their dirty work. That would be a recipe for success. That would be a defense that coupled with that offense could go five and five in the schedule, a very tough schedule, no doubt. Maybe even six and four with all the uh, juniors and seniors that you have. But as it stands now, that is the bugaboo, a defensive line where we can't say for certain that they're going to be great at any particular thing. And a secondary and linebacking core that as good as they may be, are probably not good enough to overcome subpar defensive line play. Couple that with the fact that all the turnovers that you got last year, led the nation, I think, in turnovers, and certainly you did in defensive touchdowns. That's great and everything, but are those numbers going to be what they were? And even with all that luck that was on your side, and there is an element of luck in getting turnovers and defensive scores, you still only managed to go six and six with bad losses to Eastern Michigan, bad losses to Northwestern, and then the bowl game, it was ho-hum, and I know there were injuries, but assuming everybody's healthy, Yes, this is an okay Illini team by Illini standards, but it is a 10-game Big Ten schedule that is a bear, and that's why I'm going 3-7. and 4-6 and six is the likely mark. Now, Illini fans were a lot more optimistic than I am. I put up a poll. We don't really do a lot of those on our Twitter account, which, by the way, is at the 200 level. 411 votes. We had 7% respond, 1-2 to two wins. Even I would say, I think this team finds their way to more than two wins. We had a very brave 6%, say seven plus wins. If they go seven and three in this 10-game schedule, I would sign the Lovey Smith extension myself. I'd pitch in. Five and six actually won the day. 48% of people think that Illinois will win five to six games in this schedule. Three to four, sitting there at 39%. I'm with you 39%. I wish I could be with a 48% that's five to six. That would be phenomenal. And really, as I mentioned a couple minutes ago, four wins 
in this schedule, that's plateauing. That is essentially holding serve from what you did last year, where you finished a game under 500 in the Big Ten at four and five. This is by far a much tougher schedule. And unfortunately, you're kind of handicapped by immediately taking a game out of the equation. And maybe I shouldn't do that. There might be a 5% chance that Illinois springs a season opening upset against Ohio State, but that might be generous 5%. That is essentially saying you got a nine game schedule following that. And how many of those nine games are you going to win? I just don't know how many of those I feel confident in. And then you get ESPN and their FPI football performance or prediction index, something like that. And they, through that system, predicted Illinois to be favorites in two of the 10 games. Two. Sadly, I think that's about right. If I think about what Vegas is going to think going into each of these games, you're looking at Purdue and Rutgers as the two games where Illinois should be favored. There's not a single other game I look at in that schedule and think, yeah, if I'm a guy in Vegas, if I'm handicapping this, I'm making Illinois the favorite in that game. And this goes to a larger point. I was texting with Brightweiser just this morning, and he said, well, how many wins do you think? And he's thinking four, and I'm like three or four, and I feel bad in a way, because as excited as I am for football to start, and I guarantee you I am, trust me, I'm really excited to set up shop on Thursday, September 3rd, and any game that comes after that. But as I'm texting Brightweiser, I just don't see it. And he doesn't see it either. We'll get him on the show before the season starts, if it hopefully does. And that it's frustrating to be in this position in year five. COVID-19, pandemic, conference-only schedule aside, it is frustrating to be in this position after making a bowl game to feel like really... How many great strides were taken last year? Improvement? Absolutely. Are you in a better place now than you were in year two of Levy Smith? Absolutely. And as I've seen a few people on Twitter talk about, if your goal was to merely get back to 500 level respectability, just, you know, you're in a complete pushover, you're going to spring an upset, maybe two per year, you're going to be floundering around six and six, maybe seven and five, but you will make some bowl games. I understand how that is a necessary step to reach before you get into eight, nine, ten wins a year, for sure. But the problem is that the sense that you would get, along with gradual improvement, the sense that the program is heading in a direction where they will get to those eight, nine win seasons at some point, I don't feel that right now the same way that, let's say, a Minnesota fan probably feels about P.J. Fleck and those guys. And as I was saying to Brightweiser, it, it occurred to me that the frustration with the Lovey Smith era is that it's boring. Think about it. We go six and seven last year. There were exciting moments. One of the best wins in Illini football history with Wisconsin. The best comeback in Illini history at Michigan State. Exciting moments. The Purdue game, I had fun watching as ugly as that was. And the Rutgers game, not a really good first half, but you had a great third quarter where you got, what, two defensive scores and you just ran away with it. So in that four-game stretch, absolutely, that was not a boring team. You could argue the Nebraska game last year was not boring at all. It certainly was not that. But it, it has more to do with the overall feeling around the program and the absence of momentum for a team that following a 6-7 and seven season and a couple of marquee wins, again, the Wisconsin game, and I'm going to throw the Michigan State game in there just because of the circumstance of coming back from however many points you were down, that despite those moments, things that you should be able to put on a highlight reel and really get people pumped up, it feels a bit like, okay, that's great, but how good are we really? How much better are we really than we were last year or the year before that? 
The recruiting classes are not bringing a lot of extra enthusiasm to the table. They are filling out this class. They are. They are using the transfer portal to some success, but not to the level that you would want for a program that has a glistening new performance center with all the bells and whistles, one that has a former NFL coach that made a Super Bowl as the head of your program, the amount of money you're investing in the staff, all these great resources that really did put Illinois on par with other Big Ten programs in many ways. You are not reaching in terms of the talent level and really the coaching staff. And I, I say that. I know the guys are doing their best. I know Lovey Smith is probably doing his best. But there's just this overwhelming sense of, eh, whatever. Now, that can certainly change, not even with a win against Ohio State, but a competitive showing where Brandon Peters in the offense, they dropped 28 points on Ohio State. You're in it in the fourth quarter. I will still take that and realize that, listen, this Illinois program doesn't need to be elite. I don't need them to be that. But I do want to feel like they're competent in all areas and that every so often you can spring a major upset and find your way to a 7-8 win season, something like that. I don't feel like they're at that point, and I'd love to be proven wrong. You know, I would love to be proven wrong, but it seems like the offseason for as weird and wonky as it was during COVID-19, that the beginning of this recruiting class for 2021 and how long it took you to get that thing going, even though you are getting guys, it feels much more of a, okay, we're filling spots as opposed to we're getting the guys that we really want that are really going to take us the next step. And that's fine. You know, if this program treads water for a bit, okay. If treading water at six and six is what they're going to do for the next two, three years. That's still a better baseline to then go and get your next coach than what you had before. Okay, you're still in a better position, and then you include all the facilities and things like that. It just is surprising to me that we're at this point and entering this weird and wonky 10-game Big Ten-only schedule that there's not more excitement about it. And anecdotal example, but the schedule comes out yesterday, and usually... In any other circumstance, that'd be something that my dad and I text each other. Oh my God, I can't, you know, look at the schedule. Oh, we kind of got screwed in the Ohio State game. We didn't say a word about it yesterday. Again, anecdotal. What does that mean? I don't even know because we're still texting about the Yankees. But, <laughs> you know, in the absence of live sports, I thought that it wouldn't take much of a hook to get me back into football. I'm finding that most of the hook that's getting me excited about Illinois football returning is more of the simple idea of just watching a game grilling out, making a drink, chilling out on that Thursday night, September 3rd. It has far more to do with the sort of ritualistic aspect of watching sports than it does the team themselves. And that is surprising to me. If it were, let's say, Michigan State at home on a Thursday night, a winnable game where you can start the season 1-0, maybe it'd be different. I, I, I don't deny that, that in a weird way, the Ohio State game is kind of a, a blessing and a curse, a blessing for the exposure, but a curse in that you kind of know how that game is going to turn out and that it could get away from you fairly quickly. But all that aside, I'm hoping that this team can be functional for one, competent, certainly, but maybe look good. Last year, we saw it in bits and spurts. We saw it in a quarter here or a second half comeback against Michigan State there, right? These moments where it's like, wait a second, they can maybe put this all together. They're a year older, all these factors that normally you would associate with, okay, this team's going to take that next step this year. I would love for that to be the case, for everything that the team did well last year, for them to continue doing that, taking the ball away, getting the defensive scores, stringing some good offensive possessions together. But I think I'm still in show-me mode. 
and I don't want to be difficult about it. You know, you're probably listening to this like, come on, Carp, start, quit bringing us down. We got a 10-game schedule. We're feeling good about Illinois football returning or any football whatsoever. And I want to be there with you, and in some ways I am. But if this 10-game season plays out, I would be concerned to see what the aftermath of a 3-7 and seven schedule would look like. And what I don't want to happen, and I've seen happen time and time again with Illinois athletics and our relatively small media market, I don't want to get to a position where this team goes three and seven and then immediately we revert to the excuse of it was a tough Big Ten only schedule. This is not how 2020 was supposed to go. We're going to keep things going as they are. But I'm afraid that would be the case, that no matter how badly they may perform, we're going to have excuses, subtle or otherwise, kind of embedded in columns, um, in the newspaper, and then that filters down to the conversations you may have, I guess, on Zoom, because you can't really hang out with friends all that much anymore, but however you would have those conversations, text, in person, Zoom, all these things, these narratives can very easily trickle into the general conversation about this football program. And really that could go, you go to any market, you go to any university town, probably the same thing could be true. But it seems like often we find ourselves as Illini fans in this perpetual cycle of, well, it wasn't so bad that you should move on. The John Gross era would be one great example of that. Five years, one tournament appearance, and yet each year you try to spin a new yarn about how, well, maybe this year they won't be as unlucky and they'll make the tournament and eh, eventually, no, they didn't. It just is what it is, mediocre. And if you do end this Lovey Smith thing simply to place a mediocrity, okay, again, we'll take that and move on to the next coach. I'm not convinced, though, that this DIA isn't thinking to themselves that Lovey's the long-term answer here. And that is a bit of a scary thought for me until I see them actually have a level of success where I say, you know what, I want Lovey here for another six, seven years. Of course, what's complicating that even more is the absence of revenue because they will get the TV money as long as they get the games played. And hell or high water, they're going to try to play these games. They will still try to get 10, 12,000 people into Memorial Stadium. That's a discussion we'll have as we get closer to the games. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but hey, they need the revenue. So again, hell or high water, they're going to try to bring in as much money as they can to offset all the losses they've had this year. But that's another complication. The money issue is probably going to force you into keeping this coaching staff regardless of what happens. And I don't care what level you're at, what game is being played, what profession it is, you take away a level of accountability and that doesn't bode well. So that is my overriding concern. Outside of the 10-game schedule, that's certainly tough. Outside of my concerns about the roster, it goes to the aftermath of what might happen. If this team goes 3-7, and seven, maybe 4-6, and six, and then what are the conversations we're having? I even find myself getting into that rut where I might say, and I have earlier in this podcast, 4-6, and six, okay, I mean, you're kind of staying course, whatever. But <laughs> that's not really a great place to be because there aren't many other teams in the Big Ten that are thinking that way, that four and six would be passable given the circumstances. Maybe Purdue would take that as they try to rebound from what was a bad year. Maybe Northwestern fans would take that, all 5,000 fans that they have. Maybe Maryland would take that because they're trying to build something. But when you're in year five, you don't want to be at a place where four and six in this conference-only slate would be acceptable. And I think that's the place that Illinois football's in. 
So then it just comes down to a larger discussion. We've had it plenty on this podcast and don't need to regurgitate all of it, but it really comes down to what expectations do we want to place on this football program, regardless of who the head coach is. And that is something that I think we're still figuring out. We kind of dressed up the storefront. We brought in a coach that has some name recognition, someone that isn't going to embarrass you behind the microphone at a press conference. All those things are good check marks to have. You get a new facility, you already have a pretty good area there at Memorial Stadium and all the tailgating lots. You, you really have a lot of the external factors figured out in terms of the football program. You have a foundation in place that if you ever were to get your guy, you don't need to do a whole lot in terms of facilities, um, the game day experience, that sort of thing. You've got a lot of that down, and that's important. But that's just the problem. It's feeling like, well, I don't think we still have our guy. And what is this going to look like when this current guy, Lovey, is all said and done? Where's this program going to be? And knowing that you're kind of in a stalemate here until COVID-19 resolves itself, until the budget can start looking like it did in 2019 or 2018 when you could get 35,000 people in the stands. Certainly not a sellout, but more than 10 to 12,000 people. All those things are overriding factors, but this goes without saying that it's all null and void if the big contingency here, the pandemic itself, doesn't get in the way. And it could. I wanted to wait until the very end to even mention that because it's fun to talk about a 10-game schedule and what could happen, even if you don't feel that optimistic about what's going to happen with it. But uh, that is the thing that's lurking in the other room. It's just right there, ready to pounce, whether it be an outbreak here in this campus as all the 40,000 kids come back or any of the other Big Ten campuses when there are tens of thousands of students come back even if most classes are online, even if there's a testing protocol, which I don't think any other Big Ten school has the testing protocol in place like the University of Illinois. But these are kids, 18 to 22-year-olds. They're going to hang out. They spread diseases. God knows. (laughs) And uh, you just don't want this thing to get derailed before it gets started. But then you wonder if this thing's going to get derailed in mid-October and then you face major outbreaks in a bunch of different schools, then you start asking the question, should this have been started in the first place? We're going to wait on that. I'm not going to bore you with the COVID-19 stuff because we've done that plenty. But that is where I'm at with Illinois football. You know, I started off thinking, yeah, okay, Thursday, September 3rd, and then I start kind of pouring through that schedule. I will end on a bit of good news, though, that if you go 5-5 five and five in this schedule or 6-4, and four, that is impressive when you consider the fact that two of the games are against top 10 teams, Penn State, Ohio State, Wisconsin, I think, right on the cusp of the top 10. Maybe they're 12th, something like that. So three teams in the top 12, five teams in the top 25. You go five and five or six and four, it is an unmitigated success. Absolutely. And that would show that this coaching staff figured something out, that this roster certainly improved from one year to the next. And that would give me a little bit of optimism that this thing could be stabilized and that you can get something done here with this coaching staff as is. And then maybe somehow the recruiting will finally pick up and reflect the on-field success. So that is the good news, that low expectations going in could ultimately lead to a very pleasant surprise. Fingers crossed, that's what happens. All right, so that's all Illinois football stuff. Fun to talk about the schedule, even if I'm not feeling great about it. Uh, One quick thing before we get to Alex Rue, the idea of a bubble for college basketball. This is John Rothstein that posted this earlier on Thursday morning talking about Power 5 conferences looking at setting up bubbles for their college basketball teams. You're probably looking at conference-only slates. 
these guys can take online classes anyways, because that's probably how most universities will be set up until we get through this pandemic. And you could get it done in a couple of months. I don't know morally or ethically if there's a problem with that. I, I can see how there would be. You're essentially asking guys to quarantine for two months, even though they are not professional athletes. This is the problem with college sports in the age of a pandemic. But from a selfish sportsman perspective, you tell me that Iowa and Kofi get to play a season, however abbreviated it may be, I'm taking it. So the bubble idea, I hope it's full steam ahead and that they can do it safely and in a way that isn't so Orwellian, dystopian, trapping these guys in hotel rooms for two months. Uh, I know there are worse situations to be in, but it still strikes me as something that college sports would have more of a difficult time getting away with in a clean fashion. One that if I'm watching the game, I don't feel bad seeing Lakers, Thunder, Blazers, you name the team, knowing that these guys are professionals and they agreed to this situation in Florida. But for this Illinois basketball roster, whatever it takes. Bubble, no bubble, however they can get this season in so we can see it. Probably will not see it in person. Brace yourself for that, that you will not see this team in the flesh. But I'll take it on TV. I'll take a Big Ten title in a bubble. I'll take an NCAA title, even if it's like a Power Five made-up tournament thing. I'll take it. I just want to see these guys on the court again. I think we will. And that's the encouraging thing about basketball and getting a template laid out by the NBA that you can accomplish it. The numbers are lower in terms of how many guys you need per team, and you can control that environment. So keep your fingers crossed, but I think ultimately feel optimistic they can get that done. All right. Alex Rue, Big Ten Network. Excited to talk with him. We used to talk with him back on Tay and Carp. He's been a busy guy up there for Big Ten Network. And we're going to talk all things Illini and Big Ten football and basketball. Going to run the gamut here. Always fun to talk to. I would recommend you follow him on Twitter at ARUBTN. That's A-R-O-U-X-B-T-N. All right. Let's get to it. It's Alex Rue, Big Ten Network on the 200 level. Excited to have joining us here on the 200 level today, Alex Rue, a local product, kind of like myself from the Champaign-Urbana area, on Twitter at A-Rue, that's R-O-U-X-B-T-N, and host of the Take 10 podcast, which is part of the Big Ten Network. You can find that wherever podcasts are available. Alex, uh, it's been a big week for Illini fans, obviously, and I'll start with, I don't want to say good news, bad news, because uh, I'm a little more skeptical about football than most, but we'll save that. The big news a week ago was Iowa and Kofi both coming back within about 24 hours of each other. And in trying to think of the last Illini basketball season that I would have been this excited before a game was even played, I'd have to go back to 04-05. You're a little bit younger than I am, but I, I got to think that for your generation, I say that, I know we aren't too far apart, that it's got to be exciting to finally feel as if you have... A team to look forward to. I was able to latch on to the Bill Self era and, and have that for a bit. But how old would you have been from that like 98 to 2002 pre-Bruce Weber run? Yeah, first of all, Mike, thanks for having me on. I'm a big fan, avid listener of your and show. You. So it's cool to be on the show. And as far as when I first kind of became aware of Illinois basketball, uh, I would say it was the 98, 99 teams. I remember saying like Demir Kripalia's name when I was really little, um, realizing that it was special, probably uh, around the Frank Williams days and really getting into it. And then the first time I remember being super excited for a season was the 0405 season. I was old enough then 
I would have been 11 years old um, to remember being, I think in fifth grade at, at Bottenfield elementary and the, the buzz in my classrooms was, uh, was palpable. It's like you're, you're following the John Rothstein model there, but I remember <laughs> uh, the classmates talking like, Hey, you know, Illinois is like number one, you know, might be top five preseason. And it was super exciting. And that, that was when I was really went all in. And then since then, you know, once I realized post final four, that year that it wasn't always like that as a fan. I remember thinking when they lost in St. Louis that, you know, well, it's okay. The final four is an in Indy next year and we'll be right back there in 2006. Um, once I realized that that was not the norm, I think most of the seasons since then as an Illinois fan growing up and going there as a student, I was always kind of waiting to be surprised and always kind of took an underdog mindset. And this is the first time really, outside of maybe some teams that I was high on in the Revante Rice, Kendrick Nunn days that I actually have expectations for Illinois basketball that I think they might be able to even exceed if everything goes right. And we do indeed get a full season. Yeah. The reason I asked that is, so you were fifth grade, 0405. I would have been a senior in high school. And I think about what basketball here in Champaign-Urbana was like from, let's say my fifth grade year to senior year of high school. And you were probably anticipating a similar stretch in those seven, eight years of what well, we've arrived and we aren't going anywhere. And I, I, I asked that because of conversations I've had with uh, Trevor on the show with Isaac Ambrose. And last year, if you put that run that that team had last year in the middle of the Lon Kruger, Bill Self, Bruce Weber early part of it, that was just a another year of Illinois basketball. But it certainly had a special vibe to it because it felt like we were re-arriving on the scene. And uh, Io, you mentioned Frank Williams, and I think that's the best comparison between guys that when they take the court, you feel like they could truly will their team to victory. Um, as you've seen Io kind of develop, and you look forward to next year, however it may look, um, what would be, I, I don't want to say a comparison, but from your reality as an Illini fan, uh, you'd probably just go back to Dean and Darren and say, this is, this is our guy or, or the guy that uh, we haven't had in about 15 years. Yeah, well, I feel bad when I listen sometimes to your your podcast and you talk to Trevor, who uh, I also know, um, kind of family friends with, with him. I feel bad when guys that age still don't really remember the 05 team the same way I can tell that I do. So for me, I think IO is this generation's version of D Brown for anyone who's maybe coming up. Just like being such a fan favorite, being so popular and being so all about the Illini, which I don't think when IO came in, we didn't really expect that out of him but you know with, with now me kind of reflecting on how I grew up with with Illinois um, I thought I was going to get this enjoyment of Illinois basketball in college so you talked about it being your high school days for me I thought the the next great stretch was going to be my four years at Illinois because my freshman year was the uh, John Gross's first year. So yeah. I stormed the court after the Illinois basketball game uh, against Indiana. I watched the Gonzaga game when they beat the top 10 uh, team out in Spokane. And all this recruiting buzz was floating around. And I'm sitting there as a freshman, sophomore being like, this is going to be a great four years. And we have Ravante Rice getting eligible. Uh, Malcolm Hill and Kendrick Nunn are great. I thought it was all going to click because again, I still wasn't that far removed from 2000 to 2007, eight or so when things were great. And 
then when we didn't get that and I didn't really get that student experience as a fan at first and then as a member of the media my junior and senior years it kind of fizzled out and then um it took a while because obviously this is, last year was the first you know relevant team in, in quite some time and I evolved into then being the guy who was the butt of jokes at work because Illinois basketball and football were bad at a time when all my coworkers at Big Ten Network are, you know, Wisconsin fans or Iowa fans. And and last year was the first year I was really able to give it back to them. Yeah, and it's it's funny because I know for me it felt like forever since we had won at Kohl Center, and it had been 10 years, or won on the road uh, at Purdue. You name the place. I mean, it seems like Illinois won at basically every road venue in the Big Ten. I like your comp, though, because I kept going back to Frank Williams when I was watching Iowa last year. But uh, And maybe on the court, maybe the way he actually plays is more akin to Frank than it is D. But there is some something about him, an X factor, especially how he markets himself and has essentially made Illinois cool again. And being part of the Big Ten Network and based in Chicago, do you feel that palpable buzz, as John Rothstein would say, up there in Chicago um, – because I know down here, it certainly was at a fever pitch, but it's it's sometimes hard to gauge um, if the casual basketball fan in Chicago started paying attention in February and the early part of March when Illinois was making that run. Yeah, my, some of my coworkers who didn't get it, who weren't Illinois fans or weren't around when they were good, thought I was crazy because I would always stress how big of a missed opportunity it was that Illinois had not been great at either sport since HDTV was really a thing <laughs> and since since social media took off like I, I can't stress enough how much the brand suffered because you weren't getting celebrities and high profile athletes tweeting and elevating those platforms into people's consciousness and you didn't really have many great highlights like that's a big part of our business especially now when there's no live sports for, in college we're recycling all these these highlights these these glory days and uh, all the content that we have the most access to has been since 2008 and Illinois is not a Big Ten champion in football or basketball since then so I would always try and stress that that hey like I'm telling you guys this fan base is hungry and they're there and our social media engagement and our eyeballs on the network will take off when Illinois gets good again and and you do feel it now um I think when it really hit me that this is a real thing in Chicago, because I, I live in the Lakeview area where there's a lot of Wrigleyville bars and some attach themselves to Illinois. And I would go once in a while when I wasn't working to take in a game to see what the atmosphere was like compared to some of the other bars in the city that are affiliated with other big 10 schools. And I went on a Friday night and I know you had a huge um, production around those, those Maryland and Michigan state games in uh, February this last year. And it was the bar that's right next to Wrigley Field. I believe it's called Brick House after Mm -hmm. Jack Brick House. They've kind of aligned themselves with Illinois. And for that Maryland game, it was a legit crazy atmosphere in there with a lot of young alumni like myself, which I hadn't really seen that energy to this point in the city. And when it looked like Illinois was going to win that game and win it going away, the buzz in there was something like I've seen at Iowa bars and at Indiana basketball bars and, and Wisconsin, Michigan, you name it, Ohio state. Um, that was the first time that I really felt like Illinois was back in the city's consciousness in a way that I had never experienced. 
Yeah, and to that point, I was at Esquire in Champaign when Illinois and Missouri played back in December. And early tip, I think it was a noon tip, but nonetheless, there was nobody in Esquire. So this was really not so much the whole season. We could we could look at the whole season, but I think that would be forgetting how in November and December, it didn't feel all that great. And that it wasn't really until, I think, a home blowout win against Purdue, and that came on the heels of getting blown out at East Lansing. It was really about mid-January before it felt like, oh, wait a second, like maybe some the tide is turning a bit. And, uh, you know, I... I I, I need to go back real quick to a point you made when you were in college, your first year, freshman year being when John Gross got here. I don't know if you recall this, but we were reminiscing as Jeremy's show wrapped up last week about the Cliff Alexander Friday. Do you remember that day? Because I know for Illini fans, that's one of those, <laughs> where were you? And I, I can remember everything from the weather to the gut punch itself. Where were you? And I have to think that as a college student, that was a big Friday that you and your friends were kind of looking forward to. So this kind of fits in with kind of Illinois reentering the, the national consciousness, not just at BTN, but I don't know if you, you saw um, the college basketball podcast, Titus and Tate. Um, they did a – they're in the middle of trying to fill content, and they're going back to all these recruiting stories that really stood out in the last, you know, 10, 15 years of college basketball. And so I think it was two weekends ago and we're partners with, with Fox at BTN. So their show, a lot of their content gets kind of put in front of us and we get to see and amplify their content on our platforms if it, um, if it's relevant. And they talked about the Cliff Miss Day experience and the fact that they kind of look back on the YouTube video where all those kids are, are dressed up in orange and blue and it has like a million views and yeah. they're cussing out cliff. And the one kid's like, Oh, come on, cliff. Damn it. Like it's, and I, I, I know a lot of those kids from, from like orange crush days and all that. So the fact that even Illinois failures are kind of reentering the public consciousness, they're relevant enough to matter to a show like Titus and Tate, the national college basketball show. And I thought that was hilarious. They broke down the entire situation in a really funny manner and it was reshared on social media. And I think we've gotten to a point now that Illinois fans can look back and laugh at that. So to answer your question, yeah, I remember that day vividly because that was when I was starting to make the transition from wide eyed college student and fan to member of the media who needed to be sort of credible on some, on certain things. So sure. I was following recruiting and I was really invested. Uh, I wasn't writing about it just yet, but I was super locked into the whole cliff recruitment. Um, Taylor Rooks is one of my good friends and she was making a lot of headlines back at, uh, in those days, talking to cliff and getting a lot of scoops and me and uh, my good friend is a current roommate to this day. We were sitting at our apartment kind of refreshing Twitter and refreshing the blogs and all that. And we got a few kids together to watch the ESPNU broadcast. And my roommate um, didn't see Cliff put the hat down. So he turns around as soon as, as soon as he picks the Illinois hat up and is freaking out. And I'm like, no, look, like he, he put the Kansas hat on. And it was just one of those moments where you're sitting there and, you know, it's like, why can't we have nice things? And I, the funniest part, which we still talk about to this day is me and him went to Fazoli's on North Prospect after that. And with their bottomless breadsticks deal, I think got like a $5 baked spaghetti entree. And I think I ate like 20 breadsticks just in like a, in a fog, you know, trying to, <laughs> trying to cope with, with the, 
with what seemed like the end of the world to a you know sophomore in college who loves basketball. Some go with pints of Ben and Jerry's for heartbreak. You guys own the bottomless breadsticks. And, you know, you mentioned that and I'm thinking about how, yeah, it felt like one after the other, you know, death by a thousand paper cuts where you know how you felt in fifth grade and, and how I felt when I was a senior in high school and how excited you were. Your freshman year would have been John Gross's first year. My freshman year would have been Dean James senior year. So the buzz was still there. And uh, feeling like for about a, a decade, any new person you met that might have rooted for another team, you had to explain to them, no, trust me, we used to be good. It used to be a thing. I had to do this with my wife, who's a Michigan State fan. And then finally this year, I'm like, see, it's 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 kind of cool when they're good. And uh, that's why it's a remarkable change of fortune when within 24 hours, Io and Kofi both announced they're coming back. And however this season looks, uh, to feel as if this team, if it's all Big Ten games, they're still going to rack up the wins. It's 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 a remarkable turnaround from where you think even Brad Underwood's first and second years. Yeah, and I think what also has made a huge difference, especially at my office and kind of in the the world I live in, as far as like constantly refreshing Twitter and seeing what the the competitors are doing and what our analysts are saying and and how fans even of other big 10 teams are reacting is that this is a pretty likable team all things considered illinois is still on the way up so like other big 10 fan bases that i see in our mentions aside from iowa um they are rooting for illinois to be back and relevant in the same way i think that a lot of people in the halls at btm are rooting for illinois because they know when illinois is good it's a good thing for the conference right chicago gets involved um, it's a big fan base as is finally Illinois social platforms within our little network are rising up to the levels of some of their peers. And the fact that IO and Kofi and Frazier and Georgie and everyone in general, and even you can apply this to the football team, even though they, they didn't reach the same heights, everyone's pretty likable and easy to root for. Even if you're not an Illinois fan, um, lovey is as, kind of been a darling um, at least, you know, outside of the, maybe the inner Illinois media circles and, and especially lately with how he's handled everything going on. And IO is so easy to root for. You see literally in the replies and comments to these posts that they're coming back, that big 10 fans are happy to see him back, happy to see Kofi back because they're exciting players to watch, but they're also easy to root for. And I think even Iowa fans would admit that they like having Illinois as that nemesis and even on our Luca Garza social media posts or interviews that we've been getting out there in the days since he announced his return even if nobody mentions Illinois it's always people arguing in the comments like uh, Illinois is better or you know I was shaking right now with uh with I with Io and Kofi coming back so it's been fun to see them enter back in the national consciousness and also kind of have a natural rival in basketball to, to to spar with. It's fun vitriol. It's I love to hate Iowa, and it had been years. I you know when you're not good, it's hard to really muster up that hatred. But when you are good and you feel like there's something to lose for your team, then it really kind of gets everything going again. To the point where Luca puts out the tweet. I think his statement said, "I'm back." A callback to Michael Jordan, and then a swarm of Illinois fans think, "What? You're MJ now?" And and uh, they get super pissed off when I think it was John Rothstein picked Iowa ahead of Illinois, and then Andy Katz picks Illinois ahead of Iowa. And as you look towards next year, I mean, that's the two-horse race, isn't it? I know Wisconsin um, will be tough, but 
Um, and we'll get to what the season may look like in a bit, because I know the bubble idea has been floated around. But it, it, it seems to you, right, that this is a two-horse race, 1A, 1B, and it will probably come down to the, the head-to-head matchups. Yeah, I, I would say... I would say four horse race. I mean, Illinois and Iowa probably have the most talent on paper. Um, Wisconsin, and I know how you feel about Wisconsin. No. Um, it's hard to, to discount them just with everybody coming back. And, you know, I know their schedule. I uh, did them some favors last year. But one thing I noticed is Michigan State fans are really feeling slighted right now just because of the Rothsteins and the, and the Katzes giving Illinois and Iowa all the love. They're like, hold on a second. Yeah, we lost Xavier Tillman and Cassius Winston, but you know we still have we still have Rocket Watts. Like Josh Langford might come back. We still have a lot of talent. We're we're still Michigan State. You know, until proven otherwise, we're the top dog. So they're another another team that I could see get in the mix. Uh, people forget that that Rutgers is bringing everyone back, even though they weren't prettiest team last year. They were super tough and would have made the tournament. Um, Michigan has some talent coming back, even though they lost a lot. So I would say there's a, it's a four horse race with maybe Illinois and Iowa leading the pack by a nose, but it was, it was funny. Um, I worked closely with Andy to, to put all these rankings out, Andy Katz, and, and um, he struggled with, with who he was going to put first, Iowa or Illinois. And, and, and it's funny to, to see people who are at that level, like, um, you know, worked at ESPN, interviewed President Obama for the brackets, get invested with the Big Ten now that he's with BTN and Fox and and get invested um, with Illinois basketball. He, he truly loves this team and loves talking to guys like Georgie and Io, gets excited about talking Illinois basketball. So I know the running joke is like, oh, Andy Katz, you know, loves Illinois and he's riding for them. But it, it's true that he is a – you know, he's not a fan because he's a journalist, but he enjoys what they bring to the table. And it's interesting also, you know, I know you talked about the Illinois and Iowa hate. Clearly, I'm not in a position to to have that fan in me um, when I'm working, right? Like, one thing that this job has done has extracted me from that orange and blue colored um, lens. Like I, I can see from the other fan base's point of view now, how, you know, how the world looks at them essentially and how really big 10 fans aren't that different. Um, you know, when you, when you kind of line them up and, and look through their respective lenses, it's been fun to look at these schools and fan bases that I have rooted against my whole life to now in a way become a part of them, even though I'm not, running out and cheering for these schools. Um, it, it's fun to see their successes. And I know, you know, some Illinois fans can't relate to that at all, but that's just, <laughs> that's the reality. And also I think it's worth pointing out that while I say all that, I'm not pretending like I'm totally detached from Illinois. Like a yeah, lot of, a lot of people who work in sports, it seems like they've got the joy and the, the passion kind of ripped away from them, right? Either they forcibly remove themselves from, that fan aspect of following sports or, you know, they, they just don't seem as, as into it because they're so focused on covering it from a journalistic aspect, as a uh, point of view. So that's, that's really not how I approach it. Like I still love to get into the games. I still love to have that passion. I don't try to pretend like I'm not, um, you know, I'm not into the games. And I, I think 
just like looking at it, I think that is how fans almost like a lot of their personalities to consume sports. Like I look at, at Will Leach as an example of somebody who writes for MLB.com, writes about baseball, is nationally respected, and he makes no um, type of effort to hide the fact that he's a St. Louis Cardinals fan and a diehard one and an irrational one. And it still doesn't affect his work. And, you know, just because I went to Illinois and grew up there, um, that doesn't mean that, you know, I can't tweet objectively about Iowa basketball or Michigan football or whatever it is. Yeah, there, there is something about that. I said very cynically six, seven years ago on the air that every fan base sucks. But my point was that, you know, far from Illinois fans to wave a flag and say, we are uh, a better fan than the average Iowa fan, because having met uh, people, whether it be in tailgate lots or on road trips to different campuses, essentially it's all the same. And uh, the only difference, as you mentioned, was the Wisconsin fans of the world and the success they've had the last decade. That's a far different reality than what Illinois fans have had. And to the point where when I was up in Madison fall of 2018, for the Illinois-Wisconsin football game, they were having so much fun. And like a, a child, I was angry at the fun that they were having at Illinois' expense and thinking, God, you know, why can't this be us? Um, but it is nice, at least for one sport, to feel like uh, that tide is turning. And I, I have a theory. I want to float this by you. Let's say, using the NBA template, the Big Ten and other Power Five conferences use a bubble kind of format. And they do it January, February, second semester, something like that. I'm thinking if there was a bubble format where this is a neutral court sort of thing for the entire conference play, I don't think there's another team it plays into more than Illinois. And the reason I go with that is because of their relative lack of difference between the way they played at home and the way they played on the road last year. And then I compare that to Iowa, far better at home, Wisconsin, far better at home, and think, you know what, this... In a really weird way, the stars might be aligning for this Illinois roster in a neutral site to just run roughshod through the Big Ten. It's a theory. I wanted to float it by. Yeah, I don't hate it. Uh, I had seen the tweet and the report from Jeff Goodman today about the bubble idea. I don't know like the particulars or if they even fleshed any of that out. However, you're right. It was It was maddening almost to an extent how much they struggled at home last year, even shooting the ball. Um, they were squeaking by teams like Northwestern, Northwestern yeah. right? Barely. And, and I know Rutgers that the shooting was abysmal for both teams. And I don't know if it's the rims at state farm center or what's going on, but until that Iowa game, it didn't seem like they had a discernible home court advantage, even though, even the Indiana game, it seemed like Indiana shot the ball a lot better. Um, so yeah, you know, I don't hate that idea. I think that the idea also that Illinois defense and rebounding can play anywhere helps them a lot. Um, Iowa's defensive numbers are not nearly as good. And like you said, played, played far better at home. And they would, there were some games they showed up and just got smoked like Purdue put a beating on them a couple times last year. So, uh, it's an interesting theory. And also I want to go back to what you were saying, uh, before that question, there's definitely something to the fact, while I say that all fan bases have similar traits, there's something to the thought. And I, I felt the same way as a student that, the experiences are definitely not created equal. Um, I did the same thing, you know, went to Iowa football games as a student, Wisconsin, Michigan. They were straight up having a better time than I was as a student <laughs> in their sports experience. There's no contest, no contest. Not at all. And the, you know, the game day experience being a football school is something that I think if you don't go to a football school or at least experience it a few times, you don't even know what you're missing out on. Like I would look at 
my classmates at Illinois and a lot of them were from the suburbs, probably weren't Illinois fans growing up or from other states and they just didn't care, right? They, they didn't know what they were missing out on because all they knew was going to Red Line or Cam's at 7 a.m. And they would do that whether it was fall Saturday or spring Saturday. So they didn't know like how unique a tailgating experience could be, like what there was to look forward to. And like you said, you go to Madison and streets are packed and it's something that definitely I, I wish I would have experienced differently as a, as a student. But I think for most power five schools, it all comes back around at some point. So, you know, Illinois was great in the eighties and football and the scene was crazy. So I've heard, and, and basketball is great for you. And, you know, the other big 10 schools have had their turn and a lot of them will remain on top for, for most of these fan lifetimes. But once in a while, a Rutgers pops up and has a great run in basketball or, or, you know, likewise with, um, Minnesota football coming and, and not really out of nowhere, but definitely arriving a little early last year. And, and they got to have their time in the sun and, and storm the field and, and take a shot and almost get to Indy. So I think it's cyclical for a school like Illinois, but you're right that it, it was agonizing not to be able to experience some of the things that your peers do. I mentioned this in the opening segment about how if things were clicking for football, that everything else is sort of in place. You know, the stadium, it's nice. It's a beautiful old stadium. They've, they've fixed up the game day experience inside of it. Got a great marching band. You got a brand new practice facility. And not only that, but here's a, a compare and contrast with Wisconsin. Certainly the game day experience overall, far better. Just because it's Wisconsin. But I, I walking to the stadium from downtown Madison, and I noticed that everything's kind of scattered. So you got a house party here, frat party there, people in the streets, tailgate scene though, scattered. And I look at this setup in Champaign-Urbana, and I've been told about the Mike White era countless times, but never experienced it, that this environment is tailor-made for a good football program because it would potentially be the best tailgating setup in all of the Big Ten. So when I think about that, Alex, it's like uh, it's good news, bad news, good news that I know it's capable of being awesome, but bad news in that it feels like, okay, whatever it takes to light that switch, uh, it, it's not not happening yet. Yeah, and I, I agree that the potential is really there, and I kind of even indirectly pushed for it as a student reporter at the Daily Illini. I, I wrote, um, you know, still remaining objective while writing it, but wrote about the differences between Grange Grove experience and what the students were doing at the bars. And we'll kind of ask students like, you know, this is back when I was putting my, my capital J journalist hat on, but I, I was saying, you know, like, why, why don't, why don't you guys, you know, go to the stadium and what's the, what's the draw at the bars? And really it came down to just the bars had a, a firm grip on the Greek life. And that's pretty much what set the tone, but you're right. The, the tailgating setup is top tier. Um, I've been to every Big Ten football stadium, but not on game day. And it's it's definitely up there with uh, setup wise with pretty much anybody. And and now the football facility is at the top as well. So um, at least the practice facility and the stadium, like you said, is not bad either. So yeah, the, the pieces are in place. Um, it is a that is one of the bummers I think about this upcoming season is that in an alternate universe with no pandemic. I think it was set up well for the buzz to really get going. Um, another, I guess, tie into my personal experience as an Illinois 
follower is that I would always look at the schedule for football, especially as a student, say, hey, if they can just start, you know, 3-0, 4-0, this place will start to buy in a little bit. But we'll have that big night game against Nebraska or, you know, again, beat, if they can just beat North Carolina, if they can just beat Washington, if they can just beat South Florida, you know, and it just never happened. They can never get over the hump. And it seemed like this year they would coast to a three, you know, non-conference and then have a couple of winnable games early in conference play. And with fans in attendance, you could see how that would play out and maybe get that vibe we were talking about going in the stadium again. And whatever form the season takes, it's just not going to feel the same. Even if, I mean, I'm not going to say Illinois is going to, going to come close to beating Ohio state. That's, 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 uh, you know, very unlikely, but even if they show up and, and play hard and, you know, maybe it's a closer game on national TV and Illinois gets some, gets some pub and, and they get going, it's still not going to feel the same without that tailgating scene without the fans. And, and that's, that's, I think what Illinois fans are losing out on this year. Basketball, I'm not as worried about, like you said, I think that's going to kind of all figure itself out. Yeah, and I was thinking back to last year how there wasn't really the payoff during that four-game win streak. So you had the Wisconsin victory. Of course, I was at a friend's wedding that weekend, so I, that's the one I missed, and that's okay. But uh, <laughs> then you go on the road the very next week to Michigan State, and you had the amazing comeback. And Oh, sorry, it would have been Purdue. Road game at Purdue. Road Purdue game. Rutgers. Purdue Rutgers. So the Rutgers <clears throat> game by that point, you know, I, I remember going to the stadium thinking maybe there's forty five thousand, and we're kind of riding that wave. But nah, the, the Wisconsin thing had faded just enough. And then after Michigan State, the only home game was three weeks later against Northwestern on an awful Saturday and an awful game. And it was it was unfortunate to not see the payoff of, you know, getting a big win or getting a series of wins. You know, if you win, they will come. We didn't really see that last year. And uh, that's where I was interested, Alex, to see this year if it would have been normal. Because my concern, aside from a defensive line with a lot of questions and a defense predicated on turnovers, my larger concern is sort of like the tail end of the Zook era, a lack of buy-in from everybody. And what I mean by that is if this would have been a normal season, I could envision the scenario just like you did. They start 3-0. and Maybe they sneak one at Nebraska. But sort of like the tail end of Zook the last couple of years, I feel like people, the general or the casual football fan in Champaign-Urbana is like, yeah, I don't know about this. And that surprises me with Lovey at the helm. I thought that that excitement would have a little bit more staying power. Yeah, and when I listened to your podcast, Carp, and I have to, again, compliment you because it has gotten me through a lot of the pandemic, just having that sense of connection to Illinois sports in some way, to Champaign in some way, to hear your thoughts. And I usually agree with most of what you say. I feel like we're on the same wavelength on a lot of things. This is one that I, I find myself not outright disagreeing with you, but I will question it a little bit because I do okay. think I do think if Illinois, say, is a normal season – they win six or seven, maybe even eight games. The, oh, you're, they, you're talking about the the twelve game schedule as as it was set up. Yeah, yeah, got yes, it. exactly. So this year, I mean, with the ten game schedule, who knows? Um, who knows what what would be considered a acceptable season? Um, but say it's a normal season and they did go out and you know win six, seven, eight games. I think that would have been more than enough to the casual Illinois fan and to the national perception of Illinois football because just from what I've seen it following college football so hard for even 
the top of the top, you're the, the Bruce Feldman's, the, the Stu Mandel's, all the people who obsess about it for a living. So if, if gradual improvement is being made, that's going to be the headline and the story. And that's where Lovey Smith helps because so many people, when you're watching Fox last year, ESPN, and it's another Big Ten game, and Illinois somehow comes into a conversation, a lot of times they're like, how about what Lovey Smith's doing over there at Illinois? And that's kind of that kind of shapes the national perception. Maybe you're right about the local, um, more in-tune fan. Maybe they have more questions. But say that season plays out, I, I think it would have been enough to keep the positive momentum from the outside going. Um, and they certainly got a lot, of, a lot of that last year with the headlines they made and, and winning in dramatic fashion. The, the narrative was, hey, Illinois is, is turned around under Lovey Smith. I don't know beyond that, you know, with how recruiting's going and and the overall trajectory of the program, I can't comment on it. I don't really know um, where things stand after this year and how things are going to look. So maybe you're right. But again, I just think that the, the perception would have remained positive and I think the buy-in would have been good enough. I think you're absolutely right about, and remembering last year, especially after that Michigan State comeback, and getting home, we were out to dinner and watching the end of it, and of course going crazy. And I go home and I'm absorbing any post game show that I can, knowing that they'll talk about it. And anytime they did, sure enough, you named the pundit, and that was the narrative. Um, and you know, it's not as if the end of last year for the average Joe uh, national sports writer that losing to Iowa, Northwestern, California, that all of a sudden their narrative changed. Ah, we told you guys, Lovey Lovey Smith stinks. No, it, it didn't revert to that. Um, but I, I do think uh, you mentioned recruiting is one. I, I view that as a, a measurement of momentum. And it, it's a. I think my frustration was after that four game win streak, they have a bye week after the Michigan State game. And I'm thinking, ah, perfect. You know, they can really make hay. And then they competed at Iowa. So you didn't really lose any momentum until the following week. And it, it didn't translate into recruiting success. And that, that puzzled me because. From the outset, I looked at Lovey Smith as a risk because he wasn't a college football guy. But I said, you know what? The ceiling of what he could do when he gets into a, a home, uh, into a living room, and I know he can't do that now. That, to me, has been the biggest head scratcher. That his best class would be, I believe, his first, the one with Bennett Williams, the first full class, Bennett Williams and Lou Dorsey and some other guys that aren't here. And that he hasn't been able to conjure up that thing, and now we're doing the transfer slash four-year guy and um, piecemeal. And I didn't think it'd get to that. I thought this guy is going to absolutely smoke it on the recruiting trail, yeah, which, may, which may have been unfair, which may have been unfair on my part. No, I don't know why they haven't got more Illinois recruits. Um, I don't know why they've had to go. I mean, I see why they would go to Florida and Texas. Love he's a Southern guy. I don't know why they wouldn't be able to also get Illinois recruits like um, – you know, like Minnesota really in the last year or two. Um, I will say though, one, one thing that makes me happy to have lovey representing Illinois and the big 10, um, you know, recruiting aside, cause it seems like it's, it's picking up a little bit um, in the last month or two. And, and I know it was down around signing day, but uh, they have gone out and got some, some transfers and They're some, filling it. some late guys. Yep. Um, but I will say with lovey, I'm glad that he's there with everything that's going on now off the field because, and I think this extends to the larger big 10 as well. For the most part, as we've seen a lot of other college football coaches 
frankly make asses of themselves uh, in the public eye, you know, and and have not really related to some of what their their athletes and people who they're charged to take care of relating to their interests and, and what's best for them. Um, I think Lovey Smith's done a really good job at representing the university and being a legitimate voice in the last few months. Um, he's going to set a good example when it comes to taking precautions. It seems like with the, the pandemic, it seems like the football program has done a good job on that front. And his interview with Mike Tirico, I think was a really, really positive um, development and look for not only Illinois, but for the big 10, it's good to have guys like him and Ryan day and on the basketball side, I, I think Underwood was a, a, a good role model and Tom Izzo as well. People that have been at the forefront of these messages, whether, you know, it's wear a mask or black lives matter to say something and speak up and, and represent, you know, their institution in an admirable way. So I think no one could have foreseen this. And when you hire Lovey Smith in 2016, you're not thinking this is all going to happen, but it's worked out well in the sense that I think Lovey and coach Underwood have done a good job um, listening to their players and representing the university in a dignified way. Yeah. In terms of representing the university, there, there are not many others that I'd say, you know what, I want that guy for the football program, especially given what's going on and how well he spoke to it on the Trico podcast and or, or show. And I'm, I'm sure that if any other things pop up, he will address it and, and do so eloquently and in a way that a lot of other college football coaches, as we've seen, Clemson, knock on, you know, um, they, they just put their foot in their mouths time and time again. So, yeah, it is a relief, especially post-Beckman era, to not worry about the press conference. Um, and it's it's crazy. As I'm reflecting as you're talking about that, Alex, about how, um, you know, whether it be during the Zook, the tail end of that, or during the Lovey Smith era, the difference between how I would go after Zook or Lovey and the way I'd go after Beckman, let's say, or even Cubit after that one year, is that I look at Zook and Lovey and I think, you could be the one. You could be the guy. And I could not have said that about Beckman. It's like, get out of here, Cubit, get out of here. You know, you guys are Band-Aids, or, or if that. And, and that's where I, I think that if there is one thing between Zook and Lovey, it's that... Um, I look at it and think, God, like there, there has to be a path for you to achieve some sustained success here. And and as Lon has often said, if it doesn't work with Lovey, then what the hell? Maybe you just forget about it, move on, and just focus on hockey or something. Because it does seem after a while, experiment after experiment, something's got to work. And if nothing works, then what what's going on? Is it something larger? And with Illinois, too, and I think you, you kind of have to factor the football team's trajectory in with now the excitement for basketball and, you know, knowing that, that Lovey has stabilized things and looks like they're going to have a pretty decent team this year and knowing basketball is going to be great. It kind of just takes me back to, to growing up and, and everyone that followed Illinois football, like as, as fans, they also had that eye on basketball as well. Like when's basketball season starting? So, you know, I don't think, I don't think Illinois football has to be, great right like I think you've said it before give me six seven wins a bowl game and and as long as basketball's humming then hey like Illinois fans are gonna be happy I think yeah. that's still accurate in the fan base so uh you know if if Lovey can lead like he's been doing 
in the social space and as a as a figurehead for the university and also you know as a last year at times uh, a national headline making coach um that's that's not the worst place to be as a as a illinois football fan and then you know i think again i'm gonna bake it in the larger big 10 but if he's one of those leaders as far as you know looking from a national perspective he's on the the level of of ryan day or you know mike loxley now forming a coalition i don't know if you saw that of african-american um, i didn't know head coaches okay. yeah it's, it's interesting so um you know just continue to represent what the big 10 stands for and what the university stands for in a positive way i think there's something to be said there before i let you go alex uh, speaking of a good representative of the university you uh were able to get to know lou henson or at least the henson family to an extent i know uh, before we came on the year you were talking about uh your family's relationship with that family and Last week, I mean, it was a, talk about a good news, bad news week for Illinois basketball that early in the week you find out that Henson passes away before you get the good news of Iowa and Kofi coming back. But, you know, as I said in the last podcast, when, uh, Lou Henson to me, you know, I, it was a very formative time. I was a young kid in elementary school and it felt like he would never leave. It felt like he was just the lifetime Illini basketball coach that he was going to be here. And I remember how shocked I was when he announced that he was retiring. But uh, over the years, to never hear a negative story. I mean, something would have come up. There are stories about Bill Self, nothing negative, but he liked to have fun. Um, Lon Kruger, I guess there's no negative stories about him either. Um, but enough interactions that media types would have that you'd think, okay, maybe this guy was having a bad day. Lou, none of it. So for your experience and your perspective, um, when you got that news, um, what, what did you first think of in your own um, memories of Lou? Yeah, so I really didn't have any memories as far as his teams were concerned because I was too young. Um, he would have retired, I think, when I was a toddler um, around that that time. And I didn't really even think too much about him until maybe I was in high school or college, just seeing either his name in, in the rafters or hearing stories about him. But uh, I did kind of find out more and more about what he was like when I found out that my grandfather had a friendship with him. Um, my my grandpa still lives in, in the Champaign-Urbana area to this day. Um, still very uh, invested in Illinois athletics. He worked in ticket office for 25-ish years wow. post-retirement. Post so um, and I, I worked there as a student too, so we got to work side by side. You know, he raised my, my dad as an Illinois fan, and we would all go to games together growing up. And I didn't even know this until maybe I was a college student, but he was friends with Lou Henson since the seventies when my grandpa was a high school basketball coach in the South suburbs of Chicago. So he had had a relationship um, with Lou that the families knew each other. And once I got to to BTN um, and got into the podcast game a little bit as a side hustle, uh, this is back when I first launched it back in 2017 my grandpa said, Hey, you, you know, I can, I can probably get you Lou Henson on the podcast. And I was like, well, damn. All right. I mean, I, I didn't even really think about that, but um, that would be awesome clearly. And, and he knows Lou well enough that he drove to his house, picked him up, brought him to my grandparents' house. I was home for a weekend or whatever it was back in 2017. And he uh, just sat with me in my grandparents' living room while we recorded about a 45 minute hour long conversation and he was super gracious, super nice. 
And apparently, uh, according to my grandpa, would, would ask about me in the, the years that followed, um, just Very how cool. I'm doing and, and, and all that. So that was cool. And, and I know, I think Trevor said it, uh, or you said it in the last podcast that, you know, he would just keep talking and talking and sharing stories and you would have to kind of guide him to the finish line. And that, that's exactly how my conversation exactly, yeah. with him, him was. So I'm glad I got to have that, that experience because I remember, um, I guess I left this out when I was kind of going chronologically, but when I was a news gazette intern in college, it would have been the summer before my senior year. And I was there with like Matt Daniels and Jim Rosso and all those, those guys. And, and that was when it first came out that Lou Henson was really struggling and it might not, um, he might not have much longer. So we were ready, I think for him to maybe pass away in the summer of 2015 and so I just assumed at that point, like he doesn't have much time left. Um, so every year he kind of made it past then. I was surprised pleasantly and was glad and especially glad to get that hour with him in 2017. So um, just kind of wrap it all up. Uh, when I got the news, I obviously, you know, was sad, but um, I was glad to have the time with him and glad that he kind of, that, that that death had an impact on so many people as the responses kind of flooded in and his former players all spoke out and Lauren Tate wrote the, the nice article about him. So I, I think he had a deserving send off and um, I'm glad that uh, he was able to you know live as long as he was and live a full life. So I, once again, just glad to have that hour with him that I can kind of reflect on for the rest of my life now. You mentioned the being kind of pleasantly surprised each year after 2015, because when the diagnosis was first kind of made public, I know everyone, it's not like, you know, people were waiting for the news to arrive, but it still wasn't shocking when the news came through. And yet, um, you know, I noticed we were up in Wisconsin when we got the news and there was that kind of pit in the stomach thing like, ah, damn it. But then you mentioned all the reactions afterwards, and I, I don't know what it was about them. Maybe, maybe it was the quantity of them. It was the heartfelt nature of a guy like Kendall Gill saying he's the best coach I ever played for, and it's not even close. But you start seeing that, and all of a sudden, what could be a sad thing immediately kind of flips over into a ce- celebratory kind of nature. Like, you know, Mary Henson going to DWS with a bag of cookies five days later to be on Sportsline. And it's like, for me, I know, Alex, it's as someone that's lived in this community forever, They, I said this last podcast, and I think it's not hyperbole to say they were kind of the patriarch and matriarch of this community for about 30 years. And even after they left, whenever they returned, it was like, oh, man, mom and dad are home again. Uh, that is something that the way college sports are, as much as I love college sports, that is becoming increasingly rare to get the lifer at a university and uh, you know, maybe Izzo certainly will be that at Michigan state, but that is the exception now. And I think it makes it all the more remarkable that Lou had the run that he did and the legacy that he built here is something that, I mean, the the name on the court and all the other accolades are totally deserved for what he did. Yeah. It's too bad that we are in the pandemic. He did not get a public memorial. I think the crowds would have been huge, but you made a good point. Um, And I'm somebody who, you know, still stays very invested and um, in tune with what's going on in Champaign. So I think you're spot on about them being kind of the matriarch, patriarch, like you said. Um, and where I live now to this day or where my parents live is half a mile from where Lou lives, where he's lived for decades. And, and it's just kind of cool to have, like you said, the lifer. And um, yeah, like you said, it's what makes college sports 
really special. And one more thing I'll add is it was interesting to me and, and kind of cool last week when the news came, how he had this whole like double life almost like New Mexico state fans were pouring out tributes in oh, the same way yeah. that Illinois fans were. And it's like, you forget that, that he took them to a final four and he means the same to them as he, he would to a lot of Illinois fans. And that's crazy to me that, that, you know, somebody has that impact and is able to kind of, like I said, lead that double life a little bit in a good way. Absolutely. I'm hoping and looking at the trajectory of their early career and seeing what Underwood's done and in, in now entering year four, and he's a little bit more on a fast track than Lou was early, but you get a couple more key guys and then all of a sudden the thing just takes off. And I'm thinking, you know, when they hired Underwood, maybe, maybe that's the guy. And it seems as time goes on and he's kind of really acclimating himself in the community that, okay, I, I could see that being a fit. I'll, I'll say this, that certainly um, Bill Self felt like a guy that was going to be a shooting star. Lon Kruger um, was here in such a short amount of time that it felt like, okay, what? and, and Bruce Weber, that it just stagnated so quick after the Final Four run. But maybe, Alex, I, I, I got to say I'm more hopeful about Illinois basketball specifically. And as I've said before, if they're fine, I'm fine, whatever football does. But um, is this the best uh, you felt about Illini sports since? And, and I mean the, the program in general. I mentioned basketball earlier, but the program in general, are you – overall more optimistic than you've been in some time? Yeah, no question. Um, definitely more optimistic about the collective than I have ever been. Um, and a lot of that's basketball, but, but football too. Like I said, I think they got, I'm kind of with, with Jeremy Warner on this thing, wow. a lot of talent coming back um, and I'm excited to see what they can do. And yeah, I mean, I, I'm excited to hopefully see it through, right? Because that is the, the big asterisk. With, with all this going on um you just hope that that sports can happen safely this year because you know if you ask someone like maybe my old boss robert rosenthal at, at uh, a line board he's like the oh that's so illinois type of guy where um anything bad can happen well murphy's law so murphy's law right? wrong, yeah. I, was, I was grasping for that <laughs> but but yeah um you know you, you just hope you can see it through now because I, I do feel optimistic about their prospects and and there's just a good overall vibe, kind of like I mentioned, even outside of Illini circles, just throughout the Big Ten. I want you then to get the last word in this interview. I'm going to give you my record prediction, assuming somehow, some way, they get all ten games in. I said in the opening segment, sadly, I think three and seven is what you're looking at. I said four and six, very realistic. Above four and six, I start having a harder time envisioning that. But I want you to end this interview with your prediction if all 10 games are actually played. All right. I just pulled the schedule up okay. on my computer here. Um, Ohio State, the opener is an L, but could, it still could be a cool opportunity, right? It, it'll be primetime game. It's a, low, first. it's a low bar, so essentially you yeah. compete and you feel good going into Nebraska. Yep. Okay. Um, I think you split one of, one of Nebraska-Indiana. Okay. Um, so one and two. Indiana's tough and it's there. So that will be a challenge. Um, Nebraska, they're still trying to figure out what they got, but um, it seems like Illinois is due for a win against Nebraska. That that was the, think. that's been a boogeyman early in the season every year for them. Um, and then I think you probably split one of Purdue and Iowa. So you're looking uh, two it, and three, two and three. Okay. Yep. I don't know why I'm going through the schedule like this, but it's no, it's okay. I think it's realistic because it's hard to you go game by game, and you know that you're going to win one you shouldn't and lose one you shouldn't either. Yeah. All right. I'll say they get to 500 with a win over 
Northwestern. Okay. They're talking about being due. I mean, Northwestern <laughs> owned them. I was also surprised at how they performed in that game last year. That it seemed was like rough. that was set up. Uh, Wisconsin and Minnesota. This would have to be where one of the upsets comes, right? Because they're Wisconsin and Minnesota are definitely going to be more talented this year, probably. Although Minnesota lost Rashad Bateman this week uh, with the opting out. So, that hurts. Um, and they've lost quite a bit from last year's team, but they're still, you know, coming off a, a great season. And I'll just say they split split those two as well. So what are we? Are you a four and four? Here? I think. Yeah, four and four. Two games remaining at Rutgers. I think good move for them hiring Shiano because he's proven it. He can get Rutgers to a level that you know they're not, they have not seen um, since or before. But it's year one, so I think they beat Rutgers and then lose at home to Penn state. Cause Penn state is going to be pretty good. Although another opt out with them, uh, Micah Parsons today yeah. should be a first round pick. Just opt out five but, and five. Uh, okay. Five and five. I, I take I it. Think, yeah. And I think that's, that's pretty good. Right. I mean, five and five would, if there are bowl games, I think it would get you to a bowl, especially in the big 10, um, especially with that schedule. And we've seen that they, with the turnovers they create, they can, make some interesting things happen. And I do think one of those, you know, maybe, maybe they drop both Wisconsin, and Minnesota games. Maybe they pull one out against Penn state or a game you're not expecting this year. So uh, I know it'd be nice for Illinois fans to, to get Iowa again. That's, that's something that's been few and far between, but they have come close in the last decade, a couple of times, especially against pretty good Iowa teams. But um, yeah, five and five, I think is, is reasonable. And I think a lot of Illinois fans will take that right now. They go six and four. I'll walk over there and sign the extension myself. <laughs> uh, Alex, that was a lot of fun uh, talking with you. Now, for people that want to find the podcast, it's available. Take 10 podcast available anywhere, including YouTube. And right. uh, how often during this pandemic have you been putting those out? Yeah. So actually, it's interesting because with the pandemic essentially shutting down, not only live sports, obviously, but a lot of the um other stuff that we would do as far as programming on BTN, whether that's a studio show or the campus bus tour that I would be on right now, if it, if it was a normal August, um, it's basically funneled a lot of content onto our digital apps in my department. So we've had to crank it up a notch actually a little bit um, since March and it's created a lot of cool opportunities because, you know, selfishly with everyone sitting home in the pandemic, a lot of them don't have many excuses to get out of going on an interview and, and now they know how to use Zoom. Everybody knows how to use Zoom. So I can get some um, guests who I maybe would never even think would give me the time uh, to hop on the podcast. And I've been trying to do one every week, maybe every other week or so. We're actually um, in a, a sponsor flight right now. So uh, there's a certain amount that we've had to get in this summer. We're trying to put out about 10 over the summer and we have two to go. Um, just hopped off an interview right before this part with, uh, with Jeremy Langford, former, yeah. former bear okay. Spartan running back. So um, it's been fun. It's been good to keep me busy, keep me in kind of the media space a little bit, because while I'm, you know, removed from it in most other aspects of my job, uh, I still get to interview athletes and people around sports once in a while. And that, keeps me uh, very content and, and still hungry. So uh, yeah, keep an eye out every other week or week or so. And if sports go off without a hitch, we'll try and do it even more often. Excellent. Uh, we'll keep up the good work. Keep scratching that itch of the podcast. It's a good listen. And uh, we'll do this again soon. Hopefully 
one, they get through a college football season, and two, any way, shape, or form, they need to get this basketball season in. But I think we agree that they'll they'll find a way to do that. They have to. Alex, take care, man, and uh, be safe. All right. Thanks, Carp. All right. Alex Rue, Big Ten Network and host of the Take Ten podcast, and you can find that anywhere the podcasts are available. Good conversation with him, another townie, so to speak, even though he's living up in Chicago now, and good to get his take. It's crazy to think, as I was a senior in high school when the 0405 team made their run, he was a fifth grader. And I'm trying to think, in fifth grade, it probably would have been, for me, early Lon Kruger era or mid-Lon Kruger. Everything was good, just like it was for him when it was in fifth grade. But the difference is that my middle school and high school years were amazing. The best stretch of Illinois basketball ever, and he didn't really get to see that. So I, I am happy as happy as I am for myself, for selfish reasons. Like, hey, I get to watch good Illinois basketball again. It's really cool seeing these younger guys, you know, 25 and younger, that didn't get that, or maybe they got the taste of it in 05, and then things just kind of sucked for a while. Now it doesn't, and there's reason to be excited. And I do like talking to people that are more enthusiastic about Illini football than I am. I I do want to end the podcast by saying, as skeptical as I sound about certain things, I want them to win. I want Lovey to succeed because I don't want to go through the whole coaching thing again. And I'm still excited. I'm still excited for September 3rd. However that game shakes out, I will be waking up that morning thinking, oh my God, there's a college football game tonight. Hopefully they get there. I know the university's doing as much as they can with testing and everything. And, uh, you know, living in Champaign-Urbana, we're lucky to have the resources that the U of I provides. And those student athletes are, I think it's safe to say, safer here than they would be in many campuses. But I don't know if the same can be said for other Big Ten campuses. Hence, you know, a little bit leery about how many games we'll get in. Hopefully all 10. All right, that was a fun podcast. We will be back with a couple next week. Uh, guest and all that, we'll, we'll figure it out. But in the meantime, have a good weekend. Got to remind you, the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe. Online at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices, custom zones with any topping you want. Some of their favorites, Maui Wowie, Delish. Dipping sauce comes with it. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana at dpdoe.com. Fourth and Kirby online at fourthandkirby.com. Two coupon codes work, 200 level or the 200 level for 10% off your order. And not only that, buy two t-shirts, get one free, and be on the lookout for some new football designs. They look amazing. Fourthandkirby.com. And State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com for life, auto, home, renters, business, you name it. They got you covered. They'll get you the information. And not only are they insurance experts, but they have your local interest at heart. They're all Champaign-Urbana folk. State Farm agent Brian Hansen. Online at brianismyguy.com. For Lana Inquirer, the Champagne Showers Podcast Network, have a great weekend, everybody. We will see you next Monday or Tuesday. I'll keep you posted. But we will be back talking plenty of Illini sports because guess what? We actually have sports on the horizon. In the meantime, take care, and we'll see you soon. It is the 200 level.